Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It's great to be with all of you now and uh, as we enter the month of December. Hope you're enjoying the holidays with your families. Uh, now that uh, we're after Thanksgiving, getting ready for Christmas, holiday season, uh, to all my Jewish friends out there, may your Hanukkah be blessed and the days of Hanukkah be filled with a answer to your prayers and enjoyment with your family. And, you know, this week uh, I want to uh, talk to you about the latest on the in the world of Islamic reform and some of the fronts that I think highlight as we do week to week on this program that highlight the areas that need to be addressed, the areas that need exposure, reform, modernization, and confrontation. In a global perspective, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is being uh, in in a state of flux, if you will, as it recently saw the loss of its spiritual leader in his 90s, Imam Sheikh Qardawi. I'd like to talk about uh, some of that and what it portends internationally for not only that organization, but the ideology of political Islam. We're going to talk also a bit more uh, deeply about a story regarding a sheikh out of San Diego who many of us are beginning to conclude is the Islamist Jussie Smollett. And and we'll talk about his apparent fabrications. And last, medical students in Washington were recently warned to not question the professor when it comes to critical race theory and some of the dogma now that is now being preached in the name of medicine and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what does that mean? What does that portend for all of the work we do, not only in medicine, but in many academic areas where we question the establishment? So first, let's talk about the Muslim Brotherhood. There have been a number of losses, and many of us are cheering about this, but a number of losses that the Muslim Brotherhood has had in the past few months that have signified a disorganization and led forward a disorganization globally in the Muslim Brotherhood. And let me, for those of you who who want to come up to speed, the Muslim Brotherhood is the primary cancer cell, the the primary progenitor, if you will, of of multiple organizations from the most militant like Al-Qaeda and ISIS all the way to the civilizational jihadists that uh, penetrate the West and mosques and organizations like the Islamic side of North America and the Council on American-Islamic Relations. This is the mother of all organizations as far as Sunni Muslims. Sunnis are 90% of the Muslim world, 10% are Shia. So the Sunni version of the Shia version of Khomeinist Islamist of Iran is the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood's running the Turkish government through the AKP party, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. So it's basically a, a political party that has various permutations. In the Indo-Pakistani region, it's the Jamaat Islamiyah, etc. And we saw recently that the Islamists, as I mentioned before, suffered a profound loss to their academic and clerical and 
the leadership of what they call the ulama in Arabic, which are the scholars, with Sheikh Qardawi. And at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, we for a while were translating his works and pointing out that his version of Islamic democracy was probably one of the most significant security threats to the West because to them, to the Islamist parties, democracy is about majoritocracy, about mobocracy, in which the majority provides the rights to the minority and can often do so through theocracy, through a oppressive rule that instead becomes the interpreter of what God's law is, and by that interpretation they put into place misogynistic interpretations of sharia or Islamic law in which women get only a fraction of the rights of men. They put in racist interpretations of uh, human rights in which they can often justify things such as slavery and otherwise, and on and on, a horrific place in which to live. Just ask the Iranians that are now protesting on a daily basis against Islamism. Just ask the Turks who are writhing as they see free speech and democracy end under the rule of Erdogan and his Islamists, and just ask the victims of more militant organizations uh, or that are persistently militant and not just occasionally militant like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Now, on November 4th, the death of the Muslim Brotherhood Acting General Guide Ibrahim Munir as Hani Goraba, a senior fellow with the Investigative Project on Terrorism, talks about the Muslim Brotherhood succession crisis in which he notes that this triggered a new internal power struggle. And he noted that there are three factions struggling to control the Muslim Brotherhood and they all operate outside of Egypt, one in Britain, two others operating from Istanbul. And he noted that the London faction, once led by Munir, is now led by al-Din al-Zayyid, Muhayy al-Din al-Zayyid. One Istanbul faction is led by Mahmoud Hussein. And he goes on to talk about some of their power sharing and what happened before the death of Munir, in which Munir declared that the Muslim Brotherhood no longer would contest for power in Egypt. In contrast, the Istanbul factions reject that stance, and they did want to continue to contest for power wherever they may be able to organize as a political party. And this was reminiscent of some of the power struggles from 2013 when the Brotherhood actually took control of Egypt in the vestiges of the revolution at the time. Mohammed Beidi was the general guide and he had been running the party but later sentenced to life in prison after being convicted of multiple charges relating to a mass prison breakout and killing of police officers. Brotherhood bylaws have since said a vacancy should be filled by the oldest known free member of the group. So in 2017, that was Ibrahim Munir. And he's since been credited with keeping the Global Muslim Brotherhood group intact after it was banned in Egypt, then Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and on. Now, just to give you some of the sense of how important Munir was, he was able to persuade the British Parliament in hearings that Sharia law tolerates apostates and homosexuals, which contradict the teachings of the Brotherhood founder Hassan al-Banna and so many other scholars associated with Brotherhood knowledge, such as Sayyid Qutb and otherwise. And both Munir and Hussein 
were abhorred as leaders by the current of change faction, which is compromised, as Goraba talks about, mostly of the group's youth, who see the old guard as too old and entrenched. And it's also known as the third wave, or the new Kamalists, referring to Muhammad Kamal, deceased founder of the group. So Kamal masterminded a number of terrorist attacks in Egypt before he was killed by Egyptian security in 2016 and after a short battle at his hideout in Cairo. So essentially the current of change movement is trying to bring back the tenets of Kamal, of Qutb, and others. And then Goraba goes to talk about even more extreme beliefs that the Muslim Brotherhood leader in Istanbul, Al-Bahari, and others have intimated that they'd like to drive the ultimate goal of the global Muslim Brotherhood to succeed in attaining, which is a defeat of the apostate West and other machinations of their battle and sectarian battle across the planet. And ultimately, as Gorawa says, the future of a unified Muslim Brotherhood group in Egypt remains murky as the group is splintered into at least three known factions, each with its own set of goals and agenda which can contradict the other. The new current of change group lacks the legitimacy that is enjoyed by the London and Istanbul factions. So, you know, the, the point that I want to leave you with is that now, especially with the scholar Yusuf Kardawi, who not only was a Holocaust denier, was a uh, legitimizer of Hamas terrorism, was uh, a, a legitimizer of attacks against Americans in the Iraq war and on and on and on. This guy had a show called Sharia in Life that was an Al Jazeera that had 60 million viewers in its lowest ratings. And he passed at the age of 96 or 94, I can't remember his exact age, from when he passed in September this year. And ultimately, there has been no replacement. His ultimate replacement for a decade was supposed to be taught at Ramadan. And as you know, taught Ramadan was in prison in France for a few years under rape charges until he somehow weaseled out of being punished for those when there were a number of women that came forward that uh, ultimately testified to uh, what he had uh, committed. Regardless, he was left no longer able to take the mantle. The Qatari-based central stronghold of the Muslim Brotherhood has since been left um, to be run by a few sheikhs that might have large followings internally, but certainly don't have a global footprint platform that they've established similar to Qurdawi, Ramadan, or other Islamist icons. So the jury's out. And I'll tell you from a security perspective, it can be good and bad. Immediate militant threat is going to go up as there's a race to the bottom for the Islamist militants to try to drive to drive radicalism and begin to say that they control the international agenda. And there's nothing that achieves their goals more than chaos and attacking non-Muslims. So on the one hand, the threat is higher because of this. There's no stability when it comes. It's, it's no different than when you're talking about the Chinese Communist Party or, or Putin or otherwise. When they are more unstable, when they're losing, they are more dangerous. Also, ideologically, they are weaker than they've ever been. 
So gosh, imagined if only, if only American Muslims had had a more potent, rational approach to embracing Westernism, embracing the Universal Declaration of, of, of Human Rights and Religious Freedom and the U.S. Constitution and our national patriotism and our adherence to the American contract, the American social contract against political Islam and political Islamist theocracy. But no, Islamism is losing, political Islam is fractionating and breaking apart, but so far American Muslims have not had the wherewithal to organize and build institutions. Instead, Islamic leaders are dumping trillions into nonsense technologies and companies that have no impact on ideology. Uh, and I'm talking to you, Saudis. I'm talking to you, Emiratis and, and uh, Qataris and others. Uh, so they're either facilitating Islamism like Iran and Qatar, or they are attacking the Islamist grassroots organizations like the Brotherhood, which is good, and trying to finally stop funding them, but at the end of the day doing nothing to advance an idea that would replace political Islam. So what are Islamists doing here in America? My second story that I wanted to cover with all of you has to do with this Sheikh Uthman ibn Farooq. Who is this guy? Let's start with a story back from March 25, 2022. San Diego Tribune says, quote, Local Muslim imam says in a viral video that he was attacked by a man who called him a terrorist. Sheikh Uthman ibn Farooq is well known for publicly debating with people about Islam. Reporter Lindsay Winkley says, at the time, this is obviously eight or nine months ago, a local imam who's well known for publicly debating about Islam said in a viral video posted to YouTube on Thursday that he was attacked by a man who called him a terrorist. In the video, Uthman ibn Farooq said he had been in a downtown San Diego, uh, had been in downtown San Diego providing information about Islam when a man in a truck started yelling racist, abusive things at him. Sometime after Sheikh Uthman said he pulled into a gas station and when the man followed, he started recording the incident on his cell phone. Footage included in the YouTube video shows the man approaching Uthman and saying that he has seen Uthman's video. You're a blank, blank terrorist dog, the man said. And that video is on there with him coming to the passenger side and Uthman taping that. Uthman can be heard telling the man, you think I'm scared of you. He then puts his cell phone down and gets out of the car. Uthman says an altercation broke out and that the man pulled out a knife and tried to cut him. And later in the video, Uthman shows a bandage on his belly that he was physically stabbed. The video does not show a stabbing and attempts by this reporter on the day of the incident to reach out to Sheikh Uthman on Friday were unsuccessful. San Diego Police Department was unable to provide details about when or when the incident occurred, but spokesperson Adam Sharkey, Lieutenant Adam Sharkey, said the agency is aware of the video and has been in touch with Imam Uthman. San Diego Police take reports of hate crimes very seriously, and Sharkey said in a statement, anyone with information about the incident is asked to call the police or crime stoppers. CARE, the ambulance chaser of hate crimes against Muslims, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, San Diego urged anyone with information to come forward. 
We condemn this apparently biased, motivated attack on Sheikh Uthman and pray for his full recovery, the organization said in a statement. Hate, Hate rhetoric can quickly turn into a hate crime, causing harm to life and property. We call on members of the public to offer any information they have about this attack and for city officials to take immediate action to ensure public safety. And then there's statistics about hate crimes. So, let's jump to the end of my point of this story. You guys all know what who Jesse Smollett was? Well, Dalia Akiti has a good piece uh, on the 18th that came out in Arab News. And she says, do you remember American actor and singer Jesse Smollett? In January 19, uh, Smollett became known worldwide as the victim of a racist and homophobic hate crime. He reported that Chicago police, the two men had punched him in the face, poured an unknown chemical substance on him, and wrapped a rope around his neck. He described his attackers as MAGA supporters, a slogan for former President Donald Trump used. As a result, he received support from celebrities in political and cultural circles, and his claims were met with outrage about how the country was divided between the white oppressor and the oppressed minorities. With tears in his eyes, Smollett suggested to Good Morning America that his attackers were white. If I had said he was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me much more, he said. It did not take the Chicago police long to solve this heinous crime and reveal the shocking truth. The Empire actor came up with the plan, staged the attack, hired two Nigerian men who worked as extras on the show to pretend to be racist, homophobic attackers, And then the police added that Smollett took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career. In March 22, Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in jail after being found guilty on five of six counts of disorderly conduct for making false reports to the Chicago Police Department. And as Dahlia says, in San Diego, a local imam who was well known for publicly debating with people about Islam claimed in March that he was attacked by a man who called him a terrorist, according to the San Diego Tribune. And then he said, I punched him and he was too cowardly to fight like a man. So, what's going on here? If you look at the realities of this story... There have been people asking some good questions. Dexter Van Zyl has uh, broken this story open on December 2nd, 2022, just a few weeks ago, in which he notes that freelance journalist Ahnaf Kalam, a frequent contributor to focus on Western Islamism, was roughly escorted, escorted out of a mosque in Aurora, Colorado on Sunday. He was removed from the mosque after asking California Imam Uthman ibn Farouk to provide the name of the person he said was serving time in jail for attacking him in San Diego in March. Instead of responding directly to questions about the attack which have dogged the imam for months, Ibn Farouk called Kalam a liar and led the audience in a chant of Allahu Akbar before Kalam was led out of the building by Karim Abu Zaid, imam of the Colorado Muslim Community Center in Aurora where the confrontation took place. And the journalist, the freelance journalist, was manhandled by Imam Karim Abu Zaid out of the Colorado Community Center, the mosque. And Farouk again refused to reveal the identity of the person and again refused to speak to reporters. 
and there's no record of him ever speaking to reporters about the incident. And then he said, you see the Islamophobes, they come lying themselves and they accuse us. On and on. In his queries, Kalam was following up on two articles he wrote for Focus on Western Islamism about an alleged stabbing against the imam that reportedly took place in March. In his reporting, Kalam discovered that neither the San Diego Police Department nor the local district attorney's office had any information about the attack months after it allegedly took place. A recent query to the California Attorney General has yielded similar results, indicating that if the attack did take place, Ibn Farouk never even reported it to the police. Focus on Western Islamism coverage of the event prompted Ibn Farouk to declare that not only was he attacked, but that his alleged attacker had pleaded guilty and was currently serving time in jail for his crimes. <laughs> the imam refused to provide any details about the attacker or the court proceedings that allegedly resulted in the unknown attacker's incarceration. And then, after the Colorado incident with the reporter Kellam, with FWI, Focus on Western Islamism, a rattled Ibn Farouk went on an extended rant during which he declared that the details surrounding the attack which he publicized in a YouTube video were his personal business. His personal business. It seems that FWI has something here. And you know what? As an American Muslim, I think it is important for us to do everything we can to expose the heinous corruption and and pathological manipulation that happens from these so-called scholars, these dirty, filthy scholars who are destroying the religion of Islam for their own narcissistic benefit. And if you look at his YouTube page that has, I think, 300,000 plus subscribers, it's called the One Message Foundation. Take a look at it. He's got a number of videos. It's almost like he, this guy's a serial Jesse Smollett. A number of videos where he talks about being attacked by Islamophobes, and he has some videos in which he goes into places that are obviously going to have folks that are charged against other faiths, and uh, uh, then creates a firestorm, if you will, and then videotapes it and claims to be the victim. Reminds me of the imams here locally in Phoenix that uh, decided to pray at a gate in 2007 uh, at American Airlines on their way back from the uh, annual imam meeting in Minneapolis and then claimed that the way they were treated by being removed from the airplane after they did a stunt that is hardly ever seen in America in which they uh, obviously started to say Allahu Akbar and pray and other things. Yes, we pray five times a day in Islam, but to do so at a gate loudly in group prayer and then wonder why you somehow raise the anxiety of people in the middle of an Iraq war and only a few years after 9-11 is the most inane, idiotic thing that anyone could do, let alone supposed leaders of a minority that are trying to work against hate, trying to work for assimilation, and instead create a emotionally tense situation that then they claim to be the victims of. And this is repeatedly repeated over and over again. Before we get back to the the the, the slimy Imam Ibn Farouk, 
uh, uh, let's let me remind you of uh, another incident in which we had a teen who made up a story about an anti-Muslim attack on the New York subway. And for a while, there was a teen, this was reported December 10th, 2016, who was allegedly called a terrorist on the subway. And she claimed she had three drunks that had taunted her as a terrorist on a Manhattan subway train. And then she admitted that she lied to cops who arrested her on the day of the report. Yasmin Swade, who was 18 at the time of the arrest, is charged with obstructing governmental administration of filing a false report, according to a high-ranking police source. Charges and misdemeanors punishable by up to a year in jail. Swade, who lives in Nassau County, had claimed the hateful drunk shouted, Trump, Trump, and called her a terrorist as they tried to steal her headscarf. Go back to your country, she said, they shouted during the supposed December 1 attack. But when cops tried to confirm her story by checking surveillance video, they determined that her story just didn't add up. Hate crimes investigators called the Baruch College business major in on Wednesday to work on another sketch of her attackers and confronted her with the inconsistencies. That's when she cracked, admitted, admitting that she had been out late drinking with her friends and made up the attack to distract her angry father. So that links to some of the discussion we've had on this program about hate crimes, about honor killings, honor crimes where parents will attack, abuse, torture their daughters regarding dating, regarding drinking, regarding so-called Western culture and their incompatibilities with it. And instead of looking at free choice and autonomy, they instead abuse them and legitimize crimes that have become well-known across the world as honor crimes. And now we see that that creates layers upon layers of tribalism and pathology that then, obviously now, she claims to be the victim and did that because of her father. Whatever that's worth, the bottom line is is that this is the pathology of Islamist tribalism, is that they will use the other, the them, in order to tribalize their community, in order to legitimize themselves as the victim and defer to to move the gaze away from Islamic radicalism, from the interpretation of scripture that is militant, from the uh, um, heinous crimes against humanity done in all of these Muslim-majority countries and within the families here in the West and otherwise, to, defer, to deflect that gaze away, they create situations repeatedly over and over in which they can claim victim status. So let's go back to our imam in San Diego. First thing is, it's not just me. It's not just focus on Western Islamism that are organizations and targets of this. And it's not just this crazy imam who has hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, and by the way, his... Mission is obviously uh, far more frontal than many of the civilizational jihadists. This guy is an Islamist who believes in his evangelism and is doing da'wah or education. And as Ayan Hirsi Ali and so many have focused on, da'wah is a major problem because it seeks to infiltrate, destroy, convert, and its sermons, its ideology claims that Western faiths, Western 
humanity are, are hedonists. They are going to hell. The, their interpretation of Christianity is polytheistic. It's not compatible. They, they defer and deny that the Christians and Jews of the Quran are the same ones that are discussed um, that are here in the 20th century, 21st century, but rather they claim that those have been lost and they're coming to do da'wah against uh, those who are mushrikeen and, and hypocrites, munafiqeen. And all of that da'wah, all of that evangelism, that education, that conversion and spread of political Islamism includes hundreds of imams like this Ibn Farooq. And yet the cares of the world, Care San Diego actually, as I read to you, released a press release calling upon people to find the person that attacked him. They didn't ask for verification. They didn't wonder if they were being taken to the shed with a, with a lie. They don't care. How many times have they had stories that they ended up oh, dismissing because it turned out to be a fabrication? Burned Korans that they claim others are burning against Islam when in fact it turns out many of those stories were related to people trying to dispose in a Sharia compliant way of their Quran. And um, story after story after story. And yet the cares of the world have been silent. And that's why this story of Imam Ibn Farooq needs to be exposed. It's not just about him. It's not just about his uh, heinous, immoral followers that couldn't care if he was lying or not. They want to use the fiction to uh, exaggerate. And by the way, if you go to his YouTube channel, you'll see a serial sense of constantly uh, uh, saying that he can fight against the radicals, he can fight against the Islamophobes, and he will teach them, and Islam will win. He doesn't need to have any bodyguards or anything. They walk away with the swords, and he shows some video of some guy from a mosque that was from that had come into the mosque that was carrying a sword, and, and then shows that uh, uh, the paperwork of his indictment, that guy's indictment for hate crimes, and there's no, there's very little footprint of some of the stuff in uh, non-Islamist media and non-social media, and so what's what what's afoot here? Obviously, the Islamists create a land of Islam and a land of war. They divide the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. They are living when they're living in minority as a minority in, in the West. They consider this land to be the land of war, so they will do anything to to have this mindset of war. So just as in war, you, they may. Uh, um, uh, have skirmishes, battles, whatever it might be, he is creating a sense of being an, a jihadi, an Islamist jihadi. And every one of these, if you look at the video, it's a classic, classic example of a narcissistic Islamist jihadi that constantly is creating video footage to sort of uh, be the uh, raw meat for his jihadists in the in the stadium that are listening and watching his uh, games that he plays they don't care if it's real or not nobody really cares if it's real because it feeds their narrative fiction or fact it doesn't matter it feeds their narrative as the minority so just like there are some that might might 
live in the past of hundreds of years ago and say that this is the reality of the West, slavery, whatever it might be, even though those times have ended and we had gone forward, they want to to continue to say that this is today's reality because it allows them the right to pillage, to burn down stores, to, to burn down businesses, to remove statues of American history. It is the same ideology that facts don't matter. You can create any type of fiction you want as long as it's the victim and it is raw meat for your followers. That's it. The piece de resistance and uh, the end of any need for factual accountability. And that's why many of us in the reform movement and uh, in the clarity movement, clarity is uh, champions for liberty against radical Islamist tyranny. And some of us uh, will be moving forward, especially in the Muslim reform movement, to expose the fact that these manipulations need to be exposed and the police in San Diego, just like Chicago, need to step up and 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 protect the rest of us Muslims who are being given a bad name, who are being uh, tarnished with this nonsense of, of the likes of Imam Jussie Smollett. Oh, I'm sorry, no, Imam Usman Ibn Farouk. So more to come on that. We'll see if they respond. As uh, the Focus on Western Islamism reporter noted, uh, and Dexter Van Zyl wrote, uh, there has been no response uh, an ability from the Attorney General in California or in San Diego to find any record of actual stabbings that have occurred. And uh, I think it's time for uh, this uh, Islamist uh, uh, who sits in the lap of freedom and uh, creates fictions that somehow they hate us and they are Islamophobic and all this kind of other nonsense, uh, a fictional term with a fictional story that needs to be exposed as being corrupt. And by the time we're done, we hope that the West, that the San Diego community and others will know that Imam Uthman ibn Farouk is a corrupt serial liar and his YouTube channel is full of a manipulation of fiction. Last, I want to note a story out of Washington University in St. Louis that uh, a, a lecturer had warned medical students not to debate her on systemic oppression. She was caught on camera warning students that if they try to debate her critical race theory and systemic oppression, she will shut that blank down real fast. And she said, I have a really hard time. Her name is Caitlin Reedy Rogier. She told a class of medical students that she had a really hard time being neutral around issues of systemic oppression. And then in the past semester, in a video exclusively uh, released by Fox News Digital, quote, so oftentimes you will know how I feel. This does not mean that I am opposed to hearing other perspectives. I would like to be very clear about that. I'm always willing to engage in dialogue with folks that may disagree with me, always. And I will not think less of you, nor will I try to fight or debate you. And in fact, if you try to fight me or debate me, I will shut that blank down real fast. And she holds a master's in social work. She serves as a member of the social school's Understanding Systemic Racism team as a co-lead, according to the university's website. So, do you see the, the manipulation? The, the, the leaders of this diversity and inclusion and equity program say that they will not think less of you. They, will, they, they won't try to fight you or debate you, but they want you to engage in dialogue. 
It's exactly like the Islamist theocrats. They say, oh, you can ask questions. But the intimation is you can't question. You can ask questions from the oracle to the oracle, but you can't question whether they are completely wrong. You can't question whether they are themselves hateful of the rest of society by claiming that whatever group they're talking about are racist. No, we are supposed to, whatever our background is, Asian, Arabic, Muslim, Christian, atheist, whatever it might be, we are supposed to listen and accept their version of history and actually start our meetings with a prayer of their religion, a prayer of their religion, which says that we believe that we are working on stolen lands and that these lands must be uh, um, uh, given back or apologized for being taken. That's the prayer of, and I know, obviously, that's not a religion, quote unquote, but that's how it's behaving like that, isn't it? forcing us to read from their hymnals, from their scripture. And if any other faith, be it the majority faith of Christianity or other faiths, Judaism, Islam, etc., had done that, maybe Islam, they wouldn't care because it's the protected minority. But others, they would. So, there are many like this. You know, I've talked to you about what's happening regarding the accreditation of medical schools across the country, regarding the, the penetration and inability of anyone to question the standards by which diversity, equity, and inclusion are being forced upon folks. And listen, criticism of that program does not mean you don't want the medical industry that our healthcare communities to address any type of bigotry that might exist. Yes, it needs to be addressed, but it does not mean that you entirely spend the time brainwashing everyone who you are interacting with from students on up to tenured professors and into doctors in private practice and elsewhere that are members of organizations, etc., that somehow they have to admit that they're racists and need to come to the confession, the confessional of diversity, equity, and inclusion that somehow is going to tell us that we are racist. That's not how you achieve change. That's not how you... And, and the scientific standards by which these conclusions are being made are absurd. There are none. And I've talked to you before on this program about some of the loose science that made conclusions about inequities. There are some real science about inequities that can be addressed, but you don't then switch an entire cultural shift in understanding of cause and effect by the, 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 the few studies that exist out there that have begun to talk about some true inequities that exist and how, how we can best repair them. All right. It's been great talking to you this week. I hope that you take some of this and engage your friends, your colleagues, your political contacts, academic, religious contacts, your families and others. You know, listen, a friend of mine recently uh, told me, you know, it's it's so sad how divided America is getting lately, and, and how do we avoid this? And and they were, you know, I said, listen, in our own families, we've got diversity when it comes to political left and right, and 
and other things. And, you know, the old mantra is don't discuss religion and politics at dinner or with the family. Actually, it should be the opposite. You should be. We, we've lost, because we've said that phrase for so long, I think we've lost the ability to have coherent, you know, calm, academic conversations with one another about things we disagree. And once you lose that, and it becomes sort of the Twitter uh, firecracker responses here and there, uh, then that skill's gone, that muscle memory's gone, and we are no longer able to to have a coherent culture of diversity. Diversity should be first and foremost ideological diversity. If you truly are a racially blind country and community, then diversity has to be about ideological diversity. If it's simply about racial diversity, you can't mandate that through preferences of one race versus the other. I know there are many Supreme Court cases already this year and before that have come back and and taught us that, unfortunately, that some of the mandates for racial uh, discrimination cannot be forced, that ultimately if we're going to fix these cultural things, we have to do it ideologically. And some of that includes the ability to have coherent conversations with our family, with our loved ones, and with our friends. God bless. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Find me online on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. And I'll talk to you soon. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.